<laughs> Special shout out to homeboy oh, Joe yeah. Rudolph. Joe, happy Joe, birthday. happy is it, birthday. Is it his birthday, Joe Rudolph? It is Joe Rudolph's birthday, my friend. That's why we're doing this. That's right. Joe, thank you. Joe is a really a huge listener of, of Big of fan our, as an accountant, clickety-clacking in Excel, listening to Good our job. show, With a real giggling. Job. Way to go. Happy birthday. Your fiancé personally wrote to us and said, yeah. listen to me, you cockeyed SOB. If you don't give a shout-out to my my boo, I will personally hunt you down and gut you like a fish. And I so, was like, holy crap, she's not kidding. <laughs> and she's calling from inside the house. No. Uh, so, Joe, <laughs> thanks for listening. Happy birthday. Thanks, man. Buddy. Yeah, happy birthday. And Joe, happy ice- 19th birthday. She's a cradle robber. So, so kind of a kind of a hilarious thing happened when I when Luke said when he brought up Harry Potter and I said I've never read it, I got a handful of people, which is more like I imagine for every one text message I get, it represents like 500 listeners. And uh, <laughs> I got like probably eight to ten text messages or tweets or whatever saying like, you have never read Harry Potter. You son of a bitch. You <laughs> son of a- Exactly. And one guy was so funny. He was like, I love your show. But when you mentioned HP and I was like. Hewlett Packard, like <laughs> HP. That's terrible. You can tell him from Houston because that's a big deal. Um, but they, uh, he's like uh, Harry Potter, and I'm like, oh, oh, I am such an ass. <laughs> so uh, yes. So I asked my assistant today. My, I keep calling her my assistant. She is not my assistant. I asked the coordinator of adult faith formation, who used to be my assistant, um, if she had that book, and she said, yes, I just finished all the books. I will give you my first copy tomorrow, and then she handed it to me this morning of book one and she said wouldn't it be funny if you went to all the employees and asked them if they had harry potter and on friday at noon or at three o'clock you burned all of our witchcraft books <laughs> out in front of the church and i was like mary that would be oh, so perfect that would be mean. heartbreaking that would be heartbreaking fahrenheit what is it 411 fahrenheit 451 451 that's yeah. information <laughs> <laughs> oh you, you fahrenheit who do i call <laughs> we are clearly from the 90s <laughs> <laughs> that was required reading in high school i don't even know how i like forgot fahrenheit 451 jeez <laughs> my favorite book was the that was the follow up sequel fahrenheit star 69 <laughs> <laughs> we can't forget the third one that you really just like um, wasn't as good as the first two. Fahrenheit star 67. <laughs> yeah. I'm calling anonymously. <laughs> so many prank phone calls. So many prank. So I'm going through all of the Harry Potter books. I'm just starting the book. Uh, I'm just starting the third book right now. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And which is which is my favorite movie out of out of all of them. Um, That's because spoiler alert. It's the last happy book, basically. Yeah. It all takes a dark turn <laughs> after that. Yeah, and it's it's just got a really. I really like the uh, the director as well. He made Gravity and a few other uh, good movies, and it just has a really good palette. It's just it's just a fun. It feels like uh, it has like a genre to it. It, it just feels good. It well, feels fun. They took it. Well, we let's back up. The reason I'm on here is because a I'm the poor man's version of Katie Prejean McGrady who doesn't talk about theology. <laughs> so that's why I get to be here on this episode. 
Hey, Rebecca, congratulations on making your second episode. This means I create a host page. There you go. I was, we only have like six or seven people that have you so can well make, Yeah, I'm like, you're like every once in a while, like check in with a regular person <laughs> out there, female co-host. That's who Somehow, I am. Like, like what's, what really amazes me is the person who's been on here the most is J.D. Flynn. And if you would have told me that at the beginning, I never would have believed you. Really? Um, yeah, just because like we weren't friends, and I mean, like it's it's not that like we were enemies in college, although apparently he did not like us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people don't like AMDG. One time we only had word on the right on David Huff's shoulders down the aisle during mass with an American flag. We all started to chant USA. <laughs> I don't know why people didn't like us. No, or no living. It was one of the greatest <laughs> moments of my life. Um, yeah, but. Uh, uh, where am I going with all this? So yeah, okay. So okay, so I, I yeah, I had this. I so I'm going through all the Harry all the Harry Potter books, and I'm and I just got done with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and I and I and like I've been I'm listening to the Binge Mode podcast and just kind of going through their uh, their own reflections on the book, and I've been doing on my own just in my head on walks when I kind of gotta just get out of the house or something, and I had kind of a profound realization with like with you know. Um, Harry Potter of the Chamber of Secrets. Okay, wait. Before you go into that, can, let me ask just a couple questions real quick. Yeah. Have both of you seen all the movies? Yes. Yes. I own them all as well. Okay. I have seen all the movies. Which is, have, I want to punch you in the mouth for having seen enough. the movies before reading the book. Uh, get in line behind my <laughs> wife. She wants to punch me in the mouth for all different reasons. <laughs> now, follow-up question. That's why she and I are friends. <laughs> Luke, have you, uh, and we actually might come see you guys relatively not relatively soon, but we're trying to figure it out. Anyway, Whenever coronavirus um, is done. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, Luke, have you read all the books? Yes. Okay, so at some point in your life, you read them yes. all. Yes, and I'm going through the second big read-through right now. I've only read, I've only read them all in order once, and I'm doing my second read-through. Yeah. I read them okay. all, the entire series, every single year. Yeah, yeah, you are. What, what, what drove you to want to do that every year? Like, I do that for... You know the uh, what's it called? Catechesi Tridende. <laughs> but why do you do well, it? Naughty doll. <laughs> why do you do it for Potter? What what does Harry Potter uh, stir within you? Well, and the reason I go back to it, I think every year is like I said to y'all in a message separately. It's like putting on your favorite sweatshirt or a warm, cuddly blanket, or like it's it's it's. It's not, it's always not like the only thing I'm reading. You know what I mean? It's just like my, like when I need something that I can just like kind of sink into and it just makes me feel like I'm visiting old friends and like a place that you feel like comfortable and at home. Like that's the thing with the series and that's the thing with the like whole Potterverse and people who are very into Harry Potter is that you sort of get to know, it's kind of like in the same vein as people who are obsessive about you know narnia or different things or or lord of the rings like it becomes it's a place and a world that becomes familiar but it's kind of an escape from like you know the crappy like so right now i'm in the middle of well actually i'm almost to the end of um the order of the phoenix which i usually start over at the beginning either right around christmas like during christmas break because that's usually when i have some downtime and and then I'll read them, start reading them over Christmas break and like through the winter and stuff when there's like not as much going on or whatever. And so, so you're just reading as like on the side. Right. You just, just restart like, it. Restart when, yeah. When I'm just like, okay. I want something that that's just like fluff. It's not fluff, but it's 
it, it doesn't take a lot of like, I'm not like thinking and meditating on it. I'm so familiar with the, with the book and the canon that it is just enjoyable reading. And then, you know, I can, I mean, I practically have parts of the books memorized, but then every time I read it, new things sort of unfold and are revealed as far as characters or little nuggets or like foreshadowing that happened. And you're like, oh, I never caught that before. And I have also read a lot of like commentary books. I've read a lot of commentary articles. I actually own a lot of the um, sort of supplementary books that they refer to in the series that are like, so they're like additional books to the canon that are part of the story. Um, and I have like, I have a whole thing called like page to movie or something. It's this big, beautiful, like coffee table book that has wonderful, like colored, large color pictures. And it sort of breaks down how they made the movies from the books and what they decided to go with. And I love it. And the costume designs and sketches and all this stuff. Like I said, I'm a big nerd about it. So I have a lot of stuff. (laughs) So then my follow-up question is, do you like the newer books and newer movies do you like the books way more than the movies? Oh, so you the watch books the movies? a million percent more. Yeah. A million okay. percent more. Because be- as, as with all things that are books to movies, you know, these are such involved books and such a universe and such a, um, I, I think it's a lot more digestible and approachable than let's say Lord of the Rings. I went, of course, as everybody who went to Franciscan University, maybe in the like late nineties, two thousands, went through a big Lord of the Rings phase. And when all those movies right, came right. out and stuff, And I enjoyed them, but I couldn't, I just could not get into the series of books because I'm like, there's way too many characters and way too many places and, and things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And the names and stuff. Yeah. And I just, it was too much. You know what I mean? Like it it was overwhelming to me. And I had like a compendium of all the character names and all the different, um, like whatever, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And because... Go ahead. Because because Tolkien loved Saxon culture more than the Franco culture of the English. Right. He uh, he he drew. You don't really get that pure like British fix that you do. You kind of yes, <laughs> that's true with too. A Potter, yes, that American uh, fetishization that we do of the Brits like, and how they just sound so damn smart. Even the Cockneys. I know. I know. Yeah. And, yeah now, so it's it's more approachable in that respect to me. And so, so do you like Fantastic Beasts as much as you do? I do. It's different. Um, and I, I won't get way into that because that's kind of a separate thing because it's technically not part of the canon of books in the series. And right. for anybody who has watched them and knows and has followed along with the movies, the most recent movie, they sort of they sort of changed some yep. some information okay. we'll, that is. OK, like, well, let's get into that later. We'll get yeah, into that. later. Yeah. So so it's yeah. kind of a separate thing, sort of. It's like. Okay. I like it as far as it 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 works well as far as how they've built the characters in the world and everything it's in that like that. Universe, yeah. But it's a separate thing. I feel okay. like it's a separate thing. I'm, I'll be interested okay. to see how it yeah. plays out. Now, Luke, what is your affinity? How often are you? You said you're going through it a second time. Yeah. yeah. Do you also read it outside of like you just pick up one book at a time and dive in? Or? No, no, I. I, that's, that's what I'm doing. So that's what I'm doing um, right now. I'm just, I'm just, this is all that I'm reading is that. So I, I, like I read, um, uh, chamber of secrets in about two days. Uh, yeah. With no distractions, oh, okay. you can yeah, read you, them real quick. Real, <laughs> yeah. Real, and so, um, but, uh, I, so I got into it right around the time that deathly hallows came out. It was the same time as order of the Phoenix, our good friend, our, our good brother, like Thomas Yeager. Uh, he came up to me and he goes, Hey, 
I'm gonna ask you to go to like movie oh with oh, oh with me, but you can't make fun of me for it, and you have to be a good sport. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. He goes, I want to go see Harry Harry Potter, and I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> and so I went, and I was like, okay, this isn't too bad. Like this isn't like this is you know, and I really didn't quite understand. I mean, I was able to piece enough together. Go, okay, I kind of get what's really going on here. And I was like, this is okay. This is kind of cool. And I was talking to him about it and just like why he liked it. I was like, okay, I can, I can, I can get behind that. And then I like read his copy of the books and I was like, holy crap. And I just got through and I just read all of them. I just read all of them. And I was like, this is fantastic. And I never really went back to them, to all of them after that. I think I read Deathly Hallows again. I think I read, uh, Ask a man at least once. I, I think I read a, a couple of them here and there a, again, but I never really dived into all of them like in one big like you know during one time frame. And I'm doing that right um right now, and it has been a delight. I mean, they are some of the most complete books I have ever read. Okay, now now can you answer this in as succinct a way as possible? What is it? Said, I'm going to give you time for both of you to answer. What is it about her, the, this series as a whole that you think sparked such a phenomenon? She taps into profound truths. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's it. Definitely. Well, and I think, it's, I think it is that plus that she was able to create an entire new place for your imagination that could when you're reading the books you're like this could be real like this Mm -hmm. could exist it doesn't feel you know narnia and and tolkien and all that tread lightly you tread lightly uh, you tread lightly (laughs) (laughs) there's it's it's almost so fantastical that you and, and i'm reading I just started reading with my kids, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, the, and I haven't gotten to Harry Potter yet with my son, and I can't wait to start reading them with him. I'd like to wait until he's closer to the same age as the characters because I think there's something about that for kids who can do that because, like, it came out when I was older. So it was a different experience, and I still loved it. But um, I, I think that's what it was, that she, she created this place that it's almost like as an an image that's used in the books in later books that's like just beyond the veil. It seems like, and and almost the way it's, and and that's where I know people get into the question marks with Catholicism and are you tapping into like, you know, whatever spirits and all these crazy things, which I I think is just a whole bunch of bullshit. I'm sorry. Well, I guess I, I can say it on your podcast, but, um, sure as hell can, but I think, cause I, cause you, you know, it's fantasy, but you also are like, it's such good fantasy it could be actually happening. Like you could go to London and, and you could, you know, and they have the sets and everything like that, but you could go and be like, I can find the leaky cauldron. I can find these places if I just look hard enough. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you know, she's just such a crafter of, of words and descriptions of this place that it it seems almost realistic. And I would, no, I, I would just add, and the way she connects it all together um, it's uh, George R. R. Martin esque. I mean, it, it is so. Inc- I mean, there are like one lines in one book that is like an entire like 
chapter in the last book. Like uh, yeah, she literally it's sets up things. Yeah, she yeah. sets up things like in the first chapter that do not get revealed and tied back in until the end. And you're like, wait a minute. I mean, and she literally will have like one word, one sentence in things that now, having read the series so many times. I can catch more of those things. Yeah. But you totally miss it when you're reading it. For, you, don't, you don't know what you're looking for. And then every time you go back, it's like a new layer, a yep. new layer. And it's you're an, like, yeah, it's amazing. Like you're like, this is a talented, talented writer to be able yeah. to do that, you know? Yeah. And anyway, I, sorry. and I, and I um, actually think that that's what makes it so, that's why I think it'll stand the, the test of time. I mean that, and like everything that, that like, you know, we have really, I'm talking about here, but I think just from, a technique stand standpoint. What one of the things that really makes it so good is that it's just that she found a way to make this thing that just has an insane amount of layers to it. So yeah, and she is, you know, as you know from reading the books and Gomer, as you're getting into them further, you know, it's not just wordsmith kind of things. She has a grasp of like Latin, you know. The, the, a lot of the spells and a lot of the things you see through the book are legitimate Latin terms that she's using properly to be these, you know, these whatever, these spells. And, and there's like she studied alchemy and all this stuff and, and old plants and history and stuff like that, like old like folklore and stuff from other cultures and things like that. And and made them into the names of, you know, these these plants and these fantastic beasts and all these things. I mean, it's it's really like. You're like, this woman was just like a waitress or whatever she was. And she was like struggling to get by with her daughter. And she like was studying and writing these books that like became this international phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like one of the most obvious ones is the spell Expecto Patronum, which again, Gomer, you haven't gotten there yet. But, and you know. I have in the movies. Well, in the movies. So, you know, in that, in Latin, it means it basically a Patronum, like a, a patron. And it's, so it's, I expect a protector or I expect a patron. And like, that's the idea is you cast this spell to cast the, the demons, the, the dementors away is you're, you're speaking this Latin term of like, I'm sending away the darkness and, and this protector, like a guardian angel type character comes and, and drives away the darkness. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing when you start like seeing it on those kind of levels, like kids aren't going to see it like that. Right away. But, you know, the more you read it and understand, you know, some of that, it makes okay. it really fascinating. So the, the thing that the comment that I made last week was, you know, we were talking about dealing with the darkness within us. And I did this quote from uh, Jordan Peterson where he says, you know, when a basically like when a waitress writes a book that a hundred million people buy, you have to pay attention to that. And so he immediately went out and bought all of her books because, I mean, before Jordan Peterson became a household name, one of the things that he would do at the University of Toronto is he would do a psychoanalysis of Disney movies, especially Pinocchio. Now, you can go online and look and they're fast. I mean, they really are amazing uh, movie or amazing lectures like that's how like before he ever did the 12 rules and got in the transgender argument, I would read or listen to his YouTube videos on this stuff. And I just thought they were so fast. It's called Maps of his first book's called Maps of Meaning. But um the uh the reality of his comment was the reason why we love Harry Potter and why Harry Potter is a hero in a way that very few people understand 
is he has darkness within him that enables him not it's not uh in spite of the darkness but it's precisely because of the darkness that he's enabled to be a hero and he's not a boy scout like one of the things i remember was uh, a lot of people critiquing the novel saying but he's a liar like mm-hmm. he's always and a lying breaker. yeah and they're always lying they're always doing that and it's not and like that's a terrible example for little kids but um, one of the guys that Jordan Peterson was talking to, Jocko Willink, who's a Navy SEAL, blah, blah, blah. His whole thing was, like, the men that acknowledge that they have this darkness within. Like, he's not a saint. He's a hero in that regard. And, and it's a slightly different Jungian, like, category. Mm-hmm. And when you can see the difference between the saint and the hero, you realize, like, we need both. And it would be awesome if they were both in one person. But the the hero is the someone who taps into the darkness within them and uses it for good. Not meaning, like, uses evil for good, but, like, they have an uncontrollable anger problem. Well, then they use that. They harness it and integrate. I mean, which is the definition of virtue. You integrate it within yourself. You don't repress it or negate it or pretend like it's not there. And uh, that was a thing that, like, a lot of people responded to. Luke, you remember that? priest that said we're not funny enough to be a comedy podcast and not catholic enough (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah well he he uh has been listening to the last couple episodes and he said i agree with gomer at the beginning i don't know luke if you heard the intro i said i think this is the most important episode we've done in a while and he's like yeah no tell your friend i agree with him (laughs) well and i think too it um there are consequences to when they do the wrong thing Yes. Yeah. You know, so like in books. And not just like, not just like getting in trouble in school. No, there's like, there are, there are like bigger real, yeah. consequences and that there, happen. there is guilt too. So like in book two, when they steal the car in the beginning, like Harry um, realizes like, the, you know, he has this family that has really like adopted him as their own. And how has he repaid them? But by causing all of this drama and like all, you know, all and all of these problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Go ahead. No, no, and you just tell that it wears on him. Like he and like he realizes that, and I think that's a good thing for kids uh, to see and to be able to read and to encounter and comprehend. Harry continuously like makes mistakes. He's trying to do the right thing because he has this drive to like he he's trying to do like he's he's doing. It, it's almost like the the moral question of like you can't do. A, a good thing, an evil thing to achieve a moral end or whatever. You know, they do these rule breakings and things like that. But, but ultimately, you know, they, he questions a lot of times doing those things. Like, and it go, in fact, in the order of the Phoenix, I was just reading this part where he was, he was like, I'm going to have to break into this teacher's office to do this thing. And he, and it goes on for like two pages of him going back and forth between like, there's a reason I need to do this, but should I do it? And should I not do it? And, and his, you know, Hermione being like, I don't know. I don't know. And she's like talking him out of it, trying to be his conscience on his you know, shoulder. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he's like internally struggling. Like I need to do this to accomplish this thing, whatever, you know? And like you said, um, Luke, they see consequences of their actions sometimes. And a lot of time or most of the books and they're like positive, but also negative and same with Dumbledore. And he even admits mm-hmm. that in some of the books, yep. he's like a very big, you know, whatever people want to say to save your character or whatever. But there are a lot of times in the books, especially specifically in order of the Phoenix where he's like, I've made a huge mistake. Like I thought I was doing the right thing for you to help you, but I made it worse and I've made a mistake. And now we have to like move forward from this. And, you know, he like admits it to him as an adult, to a child, like I made a mistake 
in, in doing this, you know, because I don't know everything, you know, and I'm not a savior or whatever, which, you know, I always find that very interesting about Dumbledore. The more you read the books that you, you see him differently and not so much just this, like, you know, he's the savior kind of character. You know what I mean? And Harry's never, in my opinion, comes across as a savior character. And that's a thing a lot of people try to argue about, um, I don't think, I think that's yeah. baloney as well. Well, it seems to me that part of his appeal is that he's a flawed hero without becoming an anti-hero. Like, he very much is yeah, a hero, yes. but he's not yep. the yep. bad guy who's slightly less bad. He sees the evil in front of him. He has to defeat it. In fact, in a way, he's the only one who truly knows, well, I mean, Dumbledore as well, but he truly knows how evil the evil is. And a lot of them, I, I always got the feeling that um, watching the movies, that by saying something like, he who shall not be named, right? Like, he's so evil, we can't even say his name, that it created a, an, like a, like a willful ignorance around the evil itself. Like, we don't even know now what the enemy is capable of because we can't even say, you know, we're not going to speak his name and all this stuff. Um, I, and, and so it was stuff like that that I found fascinating like he's flawed he's very flawed he doesn't hide his flaws he as you're telling me he regrets the flaws while at the same time he's not an anti-hero right and even Dumbledore says about the he who shall not be named or he should that he says fear of the name only increases fear of the thing and so he always encourages them that you should you should name you know call Voldemort by name you know you shouldn't call him you know, you shouldn't be afraid to speak what the evil is so that you're not afraid of the evil. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's why so many people in the series, and that's the whole thing, is they cower about the name and they say, oh my gosh, it's so evil and we're so, we can't even speak his name. And Dumbledore and Harry are two of the only people until the series sort of progresses that he, he always uses his name. And part of that is because he doesn't understand because of being raised by muggles, if you will. Um, you know, he's, he's raised outside of the, the world. So he doesn't really understand entirely what he's afraid of, but because of that, that gives him a certain ability to approach this, this evil, you know, that has impacted his entire life without fear. You know what I mean? And then Dumbledore sort of, sort of backs that up and says, no, you don't, don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid. This is, you know, this is the story. This is your story. You know, it's who you are. You know what I mean? That you're always kind of going to be. And then, of course, that gets revealed even more so towards the end, how really intertwined he is with, you know, everything is. Yeah. You know. Okay. Don't go running. Don't go chasing waterfalls. I won't. won't. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Well, I'm excited to read this because I'll stick to the rivers. Just like you used to. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to read the books because, I mean, for a person to be able to weave everything that you're talking about. Um, it, it is fascinating. I remember hearing a Ted talk that she gave. I think it was a Ted talk where she talked about the power of a muse. Do you ever hear that? I don't know if I heard that. I don't one. think so. I, I want to say it was her. I would feel like an idiot if it wasn't, but I want to say it was her. And she was talking about, you know, the ancient Greeks believed like in a muse, which was like usually personified as a woman, but it was this, this spiritual being that kind of gave you your inspiration you know, this breath of insight and all this stuff into you. And she said, that's truly how I view writing. Like, there's almost a contemplative, like, waiting to receive the plot line just as much as it is puzzling and researching and all that stuff. And I remember a guy in the comment section of the YouTube video just wrote, 
Uh, or you could be an adult instead of playing fairy tales and just own up to the fact that you're a genius. Whatever. <laughs> and I thought, like, the, the whole point of the talk was, like, understanding that we don't understand human inspiration all that easy. Like, even if it is just a purely material reality, like, she's trying to show, like, there is something beyond the conscious deliberating on a storyline that yields art in a kind of a breathtaking way. Mm -hmm. And so there's like a humility there that, that, you know, modern people just don't understand or take for granted or whatever. Well, and also it's the, again, you know, I think she's said in talks and interviews and things like that, that, you know, she didn't go into this with like, I'm writing a, a story from a Christian perspective, you know, that this is, this is like a CS Lewis situation that I'm, I, I, I'm purposefully having, you know, Christian themes and undertones, but as you said, the, the just reality of, of us constantly kind of struggling with light and darkness, goodness and evil, you know, choosing right in the face of so much opposition or like, you know, just sort of, that ongoing, you know, and, and themes of, you know, these friends who stick with you through all of it. There's a whole big, you know, subplot that like Harry doesn't do any of this alone. And he, and he says that a lot, a lot of times when they want to call out, you've done all these things and whatever. And he's like, no, I've almost always had help. You know, I have these friends and even Dumbledore later on in the series talks about like, you need them. Like you need to let them be part of this. Your, your best friends, because you need them to, to help you. And, and then that's kind of the Fellowship of the Rings idea, too, that, you know, you can't do this, this massive task, you know, against evil alone. There's got to be your community and your people with you and everything <laughs> you like need that. A community you need group a community available group available for 1995. Yes, you need to check in with all the time. You know, but it's yeah. just these, these fundamental themes of life, you know, is what she was really tapping into. And, and that's where, to me, when a lot of people try to give me these argu- give these arguments about why, you know, Christians and Catholics and people shouldn't read them because they're purely evil. And I'm like, they're not, I mean, we can talk about that too, because whatever, you have to read them with a discerning mind and eye. If, if, if that's a struggle for you to like pursue witchcraft, okay, that's a whole other thing. Maybe you shouldn't read them, but if you can <laughs> just read the books as pure fantasy and, and just look at it as like people in relationships and sort of these, you know, elements of, of how you live your life, you know, there's just so many like bits of wisdom in there. Like there's a line about, those who are best suited to, to power are those who have it thrust upon them, um, thrust upon them unwillingly or something like that. Like something talking about like that, or was it power or leader? I think it's leadership. Those who are best suited to leadership are those who have it thrust upon them. You know, that kind of like, sometimes you're an unwilling leader and you have to like take up that mantle, you know, and, and lead, even though you weren't trying to be the leader or whatever, you know what I mean? So there's just so much like so many little nuggets of wisdom in there too. I think that just speak to humanity, not Christianity specifically, you know? But then I would argue like, because it does that, it, it like almost proves the truths that are found within Christianity. You know, like it's, 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 it's almost like it just unreasons its way into it. Oh, it's a great line from JP two. All that is most authentically human finds its place in the church yeah right yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yes and that's well, and that yeah Go that, ahead. that's why i think these books are just so unbelievably popular it's because it's that there's this just authentically on um, the human aspect to it that is really um just so cool it's like every time i just go back to them, I'm like this is so good it's so good and you find different characters who you connect with 
that's another, to me, sign of really good writing and that the characters are have a lot of depth and mm-hmm. layers to them because you can, you know, connect with them differently at different times or different stages in your life or different things they're going through. And, you know, like, as I'm, I'm, my children are getting older and whatever, like, I, I see the Molly Weasley character, the mother, like, and how she is as, like, just kind of this adoptive mother to, to Harry and how she is as a wife and just, like, a lot of the things I find a lot more, like, humorous and, like, I can, like, I'm like, I get it, Molly. I'm with you. I know why you're acting that way because you're a mom and you're doing mom things, you know, like, that when I was younger reading this series, you know, she was just, like, a funny haha sort of character over there, you know, like, oh, the mom character, whatever. But, like, now I sort of, like, relate to the mom character. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know. And, That's awesome. As you read it at different stages. As a woman life. of a certain age, you relate to the mom character. Right. I mean, my children aren't quite as old, and I don't have as many children as her. However, I'm like, I get it. I get it. I get the frustrations here, you know, that what's happening. and Or, you know, when, when she's getting on to the husband and everything like that. I'm like, but okay, okay So here's, like, here is a great example of how I think Harry Potter is a great, like, uh, pro-life thing. So take, you know, take... Take the Weasley family. I think there are like nine of them, right? Uh, seven, I believe. There are seven plus mom and dad. Charlie, Bill, uh, Percy, See. Fred, George, Ron, Ronald, and um, Jenny. Seven, and then there the parents. So nine in the whole family. Okay. Seven kids. Yeah. So like, so so they're like like nine people in the family, and they don't really have a lot of money. And their house yeah. is like kind of a wreck all the time because they're they're having to add on stuff too, and they just have like a whole right. bunch of people in and out, and they constantly open up their doors. But th- that's where Harry finds love. That's where he finds his right. family so much so that you know, like, well, like, I don't want to. Sp- I mean, I'm going to spoil some stuff. Like, he gets married to like I'm one of the girls. You know, you we yeah, like well, oh, find out girl. I'm down the road. Yeah, yeah. The, like, yeah, that's girl. way. That's like the very end. Yeah, and he becomes Epilogue. like. And he becomes uh, like you know part of this family. It's where he finds true love. It's where he. It's that is where he finds life. It's where he, he finds everything. I mean, they are. It's so important that that's the first. Like, the first person he meets outside of Hagrid in the Wizarding World is Mrs. Weasley. Now contrast that to his Muggle family, his aunt. You know. And an uncle, angry, incredibly bitter. They care about like appearances. They want to be. They want to be like accepted by. They only care about how others like view them and like wealth and all this stuff. So they have all this money. One kid. They're just a bunch of miserable individuals, which is such this like anti-life kind of thing where they just live for on themselves, horribly selfish. Um, just like miserable human beings who care about like how nice their house, their house looks, how to get the next deal and how, you know, they're just, and they just have a miserable existence that is really quite lonely compared to the Weasley family. Right. Right. That theirs is always filled with joy and rambunctious. And it's actually very interesting that you speak about that, about him finding love and acceptance and family, because there's at, I, I'm not, it might be at the end of Order of the Phoenix, but it's at the end of one of the books. I can't remember. Oh, it might be Goblet of Fire. But anyways, after Harry's been through all the traumaticness of the end of the book and the big, you know, whatever climactic scene, which is after the third book, they're basically all very traumatic and intense and whatever. And they, it talks about that he, she comes over, Molly Weasley comes over and gives him a hug. And, and the way J.K. Rowling says it is, you know, he, it says something to the extent of, she hugged him in a way he'd never been hugged before as if by a parent and all the weight of everything came out and he cried on her shoulder or whatever. 
And it's just like this beautiful image of this kid who's like never known a parent really to love him, you know, and it's like, wow, that's like just, I mean, that's really like profound and beautiful writing that even you connect to as, as a child, like knowing that with your own parent, or if, if you didn't know that with a parent, that would bring you to tears of like, I would love to experience that, you know, or what, you know, it's just very, there's a lot of. Or say a co-host who doesn't give you the appropriate amount of affection. <laughs> no, I get it. Quite, never, never, never hugs you, never lets you cry on his shoulder, you know, whatever. You wish you were Damn Matt Luke. Fred. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he ever says to me. I'm like, I need a hug. He's like, you're no Matt Fred. You I'm don't like, have the, you don't wear the V-necks that, that Matt Fred wears. Or have the accents, let's yeah. be honest, you know. All the things. Ooh, call me back with <laughs> me the way. <laughs> um, yeah, so can I can I uh, tell you like my kind of like big like realization from all this that I think is r- really interesting. So here's what so my my idea was to you know have you on here to kind of I want to get like your take on this as a you know Harry Harry Potter fan and I want to have um your yeah uh, exactly and I wanted to um have your t- have um your t- uh, your take. Um, Michael, uh, just a, from you know, a person who has not who has not uh, read the books yet. Mm-hmm. I know I don't know why I, why I said that, but um, <laughs> that was that's, that felt very weird and dirty. <laughs> um, very dirty. Now I am going to spoil parts of the book, but you've also seen the movies, and it's yes, really which the spoils movie. everything. People who are listening to this show, if you've never read the books or you have children, do not let your children see the movies before they read the books. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That is some of the joy of these books. Is and and for those of us who read them as they were released, so you were like on these cliffhangers. Yeah. That there was that is the oh my gosh, some of the like <gasps> of the books when you're reading it and you're like <gasps> My sister in law my sister in law loved it. Oh. It was loved everything. It. Sorry, Luke, I didn't mean to no, interrupt no, no, you, no. but you're fine. I'm just fine. I just want to lay that out there for people. That is the right way to do it. That is how you raise your children in the hot Harry Potter world. Don't let them see the movies till they. How because, old? How old should they be when they are to read it? Well, like I said, I'm hoping to start. My son is nine, so probably next year he'll be in fourth grade. Fourth to fifth grade, we'll probably start it because, like I said, the first three books I think are well. The first two are more kid friendly, mm-hmm. and yeah. three it starts to get into some heavier characters that are a little bit scarier, yeah. but it does still have a fairly upbeat ending. And then the next book, Goblet of Fire, is the, like, where things get very dark and much more scary and kind of head more into the, the realm of, of a lot of sort of evilness or whatever. Wait, no, is that the next one? I missed one. No, no, no. no I didn't. No, that's You're right. right. Yeah. Well, and, right. like, I'd also add, like, even just um, how she writes it, she does a lot of, ex- she does a lot of explaining in the first two books of, like, yes, this means definitely. this because this means, you know, like, reemphasizing yes. here are the houses, here's the school, here's who this here's is. the people, here's, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I can tell she's... Open the doors, see all the people. Yeah. I know, but I can tell that she's, she's, I'm doing it because they are kids and she is just reminding them. You know, yeah. Hogwarts is this. The houses are this. Here's yeah, what, these what these words mean. Yeah, yeah, this is what Quidditch is and all these things. But, yeah, yeah. And I'm That's curious. True. I don't remember them being, th- there being like a ton of that in the later books. No, because cause Goblet of Fire, if I'm correct, is the one where, um, wait, let me look at my book. Yes. Goblet of Fire is, wait, yeah. Um, it just like starts in the middle of a scene. Um, that is outside of oh, Harry yeah. Oh, yeah. and it's everything. It sets up scene. a whole thing. Yes, it's, and it's pretty scene. intense and dark. So that's kind of where it starts to take the turn. So, that's right. you know, that's right. Yeah. I would think your kids would want to be a little bit more like 
I mean, and I remember the first time I read them as they were coming out, like at, in the nineties, early two thousands, like I was like, Oh my, like, I mean, not like afraid, but it's like, they're pretty, when you don't have any visual, now people more have a visual because it's more common in the culture, like yeah. of what Voldemort yeah. is or whatever. But when there was no movies and you're just like, she's just describing these things and these dementors and all the, you're like, what? And it, it was a little, you know, it, you know, it made you a little like shivery, you know, even though they're like tween, you know, teen sort of books, you know, so I, I think kids need to be, you know, more into the teenage range, you know, early teenager range to when you start getting to about the fourth book, in my opinion. Okay. Sorry, Liz, we took no, you no, away no, you're from fine. your realization. Do you guys care, before I get into this part, if we just take a like, minute and a half break, I have to use the men's room. All right. I'll be back in, like, 90 seconds. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry. I've been drinking. All right, so, oh, no, no, you're fine, you're fine. So, okay, this is going to get a little bit into spoilers for Chamber of Secrets, but if you've seen the film, it's it's fine. So I, I Yeah, and that's, that's one of the, actually, it's one of my least favorites to read. Yeah. I, I feel like you just have to get through it to get yeah, on with it. Yeah, I agree. Well, so this, okay, so this is interesting. There's a character in there, uh, his name is Professor Lockhart, and he's, a celebrity and he's like a shallow guy and he's just not a good person and all you can tell that he's obsessed with being he's obsessed with fame and i i kept on wondering like why like why is he like like why did she have him in there like this why because it's just you know kind of random and i'm like i don't get it like like why i mean like i i think like what she's saying about him and what she's saying about like fame is really interesting but i don't quite understand like why like, but why choose why have a character who is obsessed with fame and then so at the very end of the at the very end of the story we find that there's a girl her, her name is Jenny she's one she's one of the weasleys in the, end of the book she gets a hold of this diary and she pours herself into, you know, like this diary and the diary is able to like kind of like write back to her because of magic. And right. at because the end magic, of the magic, that's right. Yeah. And at the end of the book, we find that like this is the diary of the bad guy of the like the main bad guy, Voldemort, and from when he was in high school. And that would and that like his um, his soul is like a part of this book. And what gives his soul the strength to kind of come back is she pours her soul, she pours her heart out into this book. And it kind of gives him the strength to, like, really come back. And I was like, that's fascinating that he gets the strength to come back because she pours her soul into this. And then I started to think about it compared to Professor Lockhart. And I was like, what a great analogy of, like, what, like, celebrity does to a to like a person because if you look at it from the side of you know a fan when it goes wrong we pour ourselves out too much almost and and like and her and she poured herself out you know to the point where it where it almost killed her because the the bad guy was able to take like like how much of like her soul she had put and brought him to life and then he's becoming a more and more like real to the point I'm where like we, it, it kind of almost like it almost the book kind of it, it kind of implies that if she were to die, he'd almost be like completely alive. Almost. It's just really ha how it seems. And I was like, that's what celebrity kind of does is we pour ourselves into this thing. Or that's kind of what like that's what an obsessed fandom can do is we pour ourselves into this thing 
to a point where like it actually hurts us and it only like it doesn't benefit us at all it only really benefits the other person and when you look at like what like like what does like celebrity do to a person it turns them into a person like like just like professor lockhart who's just obsessed with trying to keep his own fame going it's all that he cares about is just staying famous and then when you think about that in terms of just how are we own fandom or even you know the Christian life, and as we, as we get so, because we, you know, like we've had people ask ask us, how do you not get obsessed with different speakers or, or different other things to where, like, what is the danger of that? You become one, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, but like you like lose yourself a little bit. Oh, yeah. In that, one of the hardest parts of this podcast has been just the like the stuff we have to do to keep to keep our name in there. I really don't like it. It feels oh, yeah. like gro- like it just feels gross and wrong. And I just but I just saw all of this like basically um in this story of like oh so this is what like this is what like fandom does. Is it really kind of when it gets to like an unhealthy level it hurts us. It doesn't uh, it doesn't benefit us at us like at all and we're just giving our we're giving ourselves away to this thing that doesn't care about us at at like all and and then at like most yeah it's just like i'm um, takes 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 and it only really in the end when you get so obsessed with with just trying to like stay famous you just you just care about yourself and when you th- when you do that in catholicism it's inc- it is dangerous it's really not good and now i'm done Discuss. <laughs> well, I think I think from a social media perspective, thinking about the way Ginny pours her soul into. So, like one of the things they say is how her, her dad says, or, or one of the family members references how her dad has always said, "You shouldn't trust anything that you can't see where it keeps its brain," and like that's kind of the idea of almost like I'm thinking of this diary that she's like pouring herself into and her emotions and all this stuff because she feels like she has no one to talk to until it it like sucks her life away from her. And that's like what can happen with, you know, Instagram or, you know, Facebook or whatever social media that you're Snapchat or whatever, that you're putting all of your emotions and thoughts and feelings like into a thing that is not another person and you can't see where it keeps its brain and it's just taking it away from you and giving you nothing back until you're like laid bare. Literally, she was laid bare in the Chamber of Secrets, left to die. Like, you've given me everything. You've given me all of your feelings and emotions and now you can just, good luck existing after that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that like, is literally the Facebook revenue model. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> literally. That is literally what it is. What you're... I mean, put it all on a book of your face. Prisoners of Azkaban, I mean, are monthly users. (laughs) Well, and the funny thing with with Lockhart, though, is that, you know, he ends up basically, again, spoiler alert for anybody, if you haven't read him by now, Gomer, get on with it. It's 2020. (laughs) But um, no spoilers that he he ends up as they say in the book, falling on his own proverbial sword, that the thing that he was, his, was gave him power and made him a celebrity was that he was particularly good at stealing people's memories and stories. And then he would write these books, you know, essentially of their life, but claiming them as, as his own. And ultimately that way of doing things is what ends up being his demise. Well, not his ultimate demise because he doesn't die, but his, his 
demise in terms of the story is that he was using people and in the end that's how he 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 fell you know was as a result of this very same thing that he was using against people is what ended up causing him you know whatever so it's just it's very interesting i mean those are very interesting insights luke i've never even like thought about it from that perspective before um but that does make a lot of sense with her and her emotions. I, I don't know about the her, well, her and celebrity, but the Lockhart part and his celebrity well, and, taking from people. Yeah, and, and I don't know if, like, I don't know if that is, like, one of, of J.K. Rowling's points here. I just think it, it just, I, I, it just, like, okay, this is going to sound like a, like, he's like, douchey Well, thing. it was pre-social media. Yeah. But it, it applies, like, totally. I, I, I'm not a celebrity. I'm a C-list Catholic celebrity. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, oh, you guys are probably on the B list by now. Come on. We're, no, 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 no. We're no. I'm on the B list. <laughs> Luke is still C list. <laughs> I don't have Father Mike Schmidt's like cell phone on the number, so I guess that's what you get when you we get text. It. Sometimes it's fine, guys. Don't worry about it. We text. <laughs> don't worry about it. No, but um, uh, <laughs> but it like I understand that just this whole like oh i just this like constant self-promoting and and like having to really Ugh. put yourself out yeah. there I, I i i get that i've i've had to wrestle with that both with of this podcast and just when you're doing it, it's just like oh like and i that's why i can't stand twitter I, I, I well, kind for of, a lot of reasons i can't stand twitter but. and I, i'm not saying that i identified with Lockhart, but I'm like, I like you feel like you have to do that to maintain a large amount, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I guess of the thing is like what I really enjoyed about the book was it showed how just like shallow feeling like feeling famous actually is, and the tiny, 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 tiny bit of it that I that I have experienced, it's shallow and it doesn't have a lot of meaning. Well, and the funny thing with the book is that all the women kind of swoon over him as a celebrity, you know, which I've experienced. Well, obviously you guys deal with this all the time. All the time. And, you know, you know, he's like all swarthy and, you know, well, I guess he's not swarthy. It's not the right word, but he's all handsome and his blue eyes and blonde hair and blah, blah, blah. And all the, speaking of Molly Weasley, she's all like, Oh, he's so cute. And all this stuff. And even the, the girl witches and, you know, the people who, you know, Harry and Ron and whatever, they sort of, and other people see through him, like, immediately and, like, realize that he, like, has no teaching skills, you know, and he has no, like, he's, like, acting like he can do all these things, but he's all just, like, he's just all show and fluff, and he's like, oh, I could take care of that in no time, da-da-da, but I'll let you, da-da-da, you know, handle it or whatever, and he never really does anything except for cause problems, you know? And it's just interesting because it's like people who are sort of a little bit more grounded about celebrity and reality and life can look at that and be like, this is nonsense. Like there's literally no substance here. This guy, as in the book, he has no substance really because he doesn't really know anything. You know, he's getting by, like you said, Luke, on his looks and his charm and his abilities to, his ability to steal from people, you know, their memories you know, but people who are more grounded kind of can can be like, yeah, no. People who are sort of more removed from him and his celebrity are like, yeah, no, there's nothing here. This guy has nothing to offer. What know? do you think she was trying to get across with? I mean, it's just funny that the the girl brings about Voldemort by writing in a book. And this guy has his celebrity by stealing other people's life stories and putting them in a book. Oh, yeah. Well, that's an interesting parallel, too. Yeah, Yeah. basically. Well, he doesn't really steal her life story, but he steals her actual life. Now, granted, 
the diary goes is has way more significance down right. the line in the stories. Yeah. Like a huge significance. It's a very important, well, um, you know, vehicle of information that comes up again at the end of the series. So it's not just, you know, the, the diary is not just an arbitrary thing. It is, a, yeah. it, it does have a greater purpose in the stories as a whole. So. But there is a really interesting, um, there's a really interesting part of, of um, book one where, um, Dumbledore tells Harry, "Don't, don't like spend your whole life in like just like having um to dream about other stuff and forget to actually live," and which is such an interesting thing to put in a fantasy novel. But then I think that's kind of she's kind of I'm saying the same thing in book two, I think, which is like don't forget to live. And if you pour too much of yourself into these things that actually aren't life, but it, that like really isn't reality, and it's good and it is important to like you know have that stuff. I, I don't I don't think she's saying it's you know I'm good to have a diary. She's talking about like she like um, these are both extreme examples. The whole I'm a dreaming thing and the diary are these extreme examples that. And she's saying if you take this too far, this is dangerous and it actually hurts you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, it's interesting because I think in a lot of the books, in just the series as a whole, and, and it's funny that that's such an argument with so many people about like, oh, this fantasy and like you're going to all these things and places and, and that's the danger and whatever. But I think you're making a really good point that a lot of times she she brings the characters back to to reality and to the ground and to not magic, to things that aren't magic. Like the whole underlying theme of all of the series that is that Harry is alive because his mother and father, but specifically his mother died protecting him. And it is love. That is like the greatest thing, you know, and that is the greatest protection. It's not magic. It's not all these other things, you know, it's not all these, you know, whatever accoutrements of this magical world. It is this one concrete thing is really the ultimate power you know what i mean and and that's to me where a lot of the argument falls on deaf ears as far as i'm concerned or not on my deaf ears in the other direction i think people miss the point that like it's not about the the books are not really about magic magic is just the umbrella under which she wrote this fantasy series the books are about love the books are about good and evil like that is what the whole series is about you know, and so being able to discern between yeah, sure they and are good and evil. if you're a witch. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> if you're a good witch, because if you're a bad witch, obviously the books are evil because you're going to go and try to, you know, produce a Patronus in your front yard. Um, you know, I, because you're a bad witch. And um, one thing, this is the bad witches can't produce. Them, so whatever. <laughs> uh, this is uh, this is uh, kind of a hard right term, but I do want to bring it into. Catholicism like when um, I think about people who their spirit and I, I like I've been guilty of this as well where you're you know your spiritual like your whole spiritual life is dependent upon like the podcast that you are listening to or the books that you are um, reading or all of this stuff and you get so obsessed with um, these things that actually you know you get obsessed with what the Pope's doing with the little like um, with like Pokemon thing or like whatever, or like this stuff that isn't part of your, that isn't really important to your day-to-day existence in terms of the faith. And you just pour your whole self in 
end to that, it kills you, and it's dangerous. It's so it's so bizarre how something that is literally not at all important to our lives can become so central that our kids have to bang on our legs to get our attention because we're paying to 500 other people other than the ones that are right in front of us. And, like, I, I am now more or less firmly of the mindset that if all social media disappeared tomorrow, it would not be a bad thing at all. Now... Now, and I'm I'm not, and when I say social media, I mean the 2.0 type stuff, like the the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Instagrams. And I understand that people love it and they built their following and their living and all that. Obviously, it's not going away tomorrow, but I think its net effect has been way more damaged than good. And um, this is the funny thing: what you're saying about like celebrity and all that stuff and uh, obsessing over it is how like what is the Facebook besides Facebook of our parents' generation? which is Facebook too, is, uh, <laughs> is, is, is news media left and right yeah, news media yeah. consumption. And I've been on this kick ever since I was watching this Protestant, um, uh, non-denom church. And this guy was joking and he was saying like, wow, dad, maybe you ought to stop watching as much Fox news. And everyone in there had this uncomfortable, but like belly laugh about like, yeesh, maybe you could turn it off for a day or two. And I thought that was so funny. It was the first time I realized this shit poisons us. And then when I went on Matt Frad's anti-pornography podcast, Defending Game of Thrones, never a good idea. Um, I, I, said, I said, you think pornography is bad. What about 24-hour news networks? And he's like, what? And then I did this whole thing for literally, like, if you look at it, it's like 15% of my argument is the pornography that most people need to turn off is news networks. And it was re so most of people, like I'm nervous because I'm in a leadership position for my friends and coworkers who are furloughed at my parish, right? Like I think about them literally every day. I can't maintain contact with them because I cannot in any way, shape or form as a leader, make them feel like pressured into work because it's a church job. Many of them might feel like I'm wink, wink, nudge, nudging them to volunteer. So you just, we're just told like, you know, you, you really shouldn't contact your coworkers and stuff. And I think about them all the time. So there's that. But the idea is I, that's the only anxiety I have felt about COVID because I don't watch the news at all. Mm -hmm. I don't go on like YouTube has these damn COVID videos where they're shoving this like narrative down your throat all the time. And uh, thank you, transgendered activists, for telling me to stay inside. Every time I log into YouTube, it's the same video. Um, but the the idea is, like, I didn't realize how little anxiety I had compared to so many other people until I went on the dumbest, number one, the dumbest URL ever, abcnews.go.com. Because remember when Go Network was a thing? Uh, but ABC News. I went on to ABC News and I just scrolled through all their headlines for that day. Uh, Luke is because our buddy John sent us the declassified UFO footage. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's terrifying. Yeah, and uh, but I went in and I just typed in UFO to find the article, and there were like twenty articles that was the exact same thing with slightly different headings, and I'm sure it was like all their AB testing for their headings and stuff, and I was like. Oh my God! This is why everyone is ripping their hair out over COVID oh, yeah. because they're reading this stuff every day. Yeah, I don't know how people do that. I do not know. 
Yeah, and I haven't at all. Like I, I have not. I've, I now not. I've watched yeah, YouTube I've videos stopped. of yeah. like medical professionals talking about it, but and you know, funny people making fun of Trump. But other than that, and so I realize like this explains so much of people's anxieties and their bitterness about the quarantine. And I'm like in la la land. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm over here just like my kids are running through the gully and co- getting covered in mud, and we discovered native raspberries growing in our yard and we were like native raspberries honeysuckles and we were just like Nature's eating them off the itself. branches <laughs> right <laughs> there's the coyotes, dolphins in the canal <laughs> the coyotes are going to the city i know they're coyotes i'm just calling them coyotes because yeah yeah sure, you know? sure, sure but you know and i mean i mean i know enough and i talk to enough people my dad's a doctor and he's not a panic person about this whole thing you know what i mean and, and he reads enough stuff to tell me and i'm like you can just tell me dad I'll ask you because you read all the things for me and like discern what's useful and what's not useful and stuff like that. I, I, it's it's it is no joke why some people are like so on edge, on edge, so yeah. anxious, so like well, and, over the edge of all of this. And like, um, there's like, so like, why in the book? Why does uh, like why does like Ginny like keep I'm, I'm writing in the diary because it feels good. Like she makes. A connection she thinks yeah like she thinks she's making this connection but the problem is is that it's not real and she can pour her heart out to a thing that is you know it's telling her all the right stuff so we hear all the right things and we see all the right you know and we're like that's right yeah screw them liberals or like you know that that is that is right everyone who's like pro-life hates women and and you know they're all they're like all bigots and it just like it just like fuels this like false rage in us that just is so not good because it's just this isolating thing um that we do as opposed to like a dialogue with a real human being well and the other interesting thing comparing it to the book if you continue on with that track is that she does things and this is i mean this is a stretch but it, it tying it in with the social media thing is that you know she kind of loses track of time now she is considered somewhat possessed so to speak, during the course of the book because she became too attached to this thing, right? And hidden inside this thing is, which, well, that reveals a lot at the end of the book, but basically is a piece of the soul of something evil, right? And so at certain times he possesses her and she loses track of what she's doing and she, she does all these things within the book that she doesn't realize she's doing because she's not herself. She's being possessed, so to speak. And it's kind of, you know, it's interesting because I feel like it's like the, you know, as people say, the keyboard crusaders or whatever, when people almost lose themselves in social media totally, or in totally. Not almost. or whatever, that they Not don't even, almost. like, yeah. they don't even realize that they're, like, responding this way or they're just, like, emotionally doing, th- I mean, it's honestly almost like people are possessed. Like, you literally have to. You know, I'll read things and I'll get fired up sometimes. And then I'm just like, no, this is, I'm not going to write anything on here. You have to like make a conscious choice to walk away and not make the comment, not engage, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, like, because as everybody jokes about and says all the time, like, okay, how many, you know, people's whatever, how many souls were saved or people's minds were changed because, you know, Joe Schmo on his computer, you know, made whatever you know, diatribe about politics and blah, 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 blah. And oh my gosh, he's right. You know, like 
I'm yeah. definitely not going to vote for Trump now because he said that or whatever it is. You know. <laughs> Thank you, guy who said N-word six times. Right, in your right. Comment <laughs> by, you know, like. Right. I mean, that's exactly yeah. it. So it's like, it, but it does almost take like an act of the will to be like, I'm not going, I'm purposefully not going to respond or comment. I'm going to walk away from this. And I think people literally lose themselves that they can't help themselves. They, like, they can't control no, they can't. the urge. To say something, they have to make their point, you know. Or Listen, we all got urges. Just give in, baby. We all got them. <laughs> it's natural. Well, man. but like, totally and it can even be with good things, though. Like, it can even be too. Yeah. It can just be an over saturation of um, just stuff, you know, or of of a of a music or of art of movies, you know. Like, 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 what tends to happen when you binge watch a show? You feel like crap. Your skin is white. You'll feel weird. You've like, don't feel like yourself. Right. It's just, you feel odd. Um, like it's, that's just like too, there is too much of a, of a good thing. And that's where the virtue of temperance comes in. The whole point of temperance isn't this stuff is evil. Get rid of it. But it's like, you're overindulging in a good thing. So you actually lose sight of how good that good thing is. So when you're binging uh, Parks and Rec on Netflix, you're losing sight of how good and funny the show is, but you don't. You think you're enjoying it the way it's meant to be enjoyed. I mean, technically, that show was developed on a network. It was supposed to be enjoyed weekly. <laughs> you know, like, there is something that's lost. It was when we know- for those of us who watched it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you telling me if I wouldn't have seen The Office but that one first, I would have loved that one more than The Office. And I was like, to hell with you, Banshee. Go right in your diary. Oh, I love, I, I, listen, I love The Office, too. <laughs> I've, I've actually heard people say the same thing about, what's the Tina Fey show? I, uh, uh, 30, 30 Rock. Rock. That because it's, on, because it's on Hulu and it's not, it's not on Netflix, that it's not, it would be on par with The Office or Parks and Rec. I love. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of 30 Rock that I didn't think was hilarious. It's hilarious, and it is would never fly now because, like, every joke is offensive. Like, yeah. have you watched it recently? Uh-uh. Oh, I restarted watching it, like, I don't know, maybe after the new year or something, before the quarantine happened when my children were at school because there's not children available things in it. And, um, oh, yeah. my gosh, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't remember <laughs> most of the... It's still hilarious, but I'm like... It would not fly now on. They would. It would never get on television now. Like there's so many. Like yeah. it's like real comedy. The way comedy. Anyways, it's a whole other tangent. But you remember those days you remember when comedy when people was used to comedy. Do comedy and they like actually made fun of like everybody and everything and everybody wasn't getting offended by it. Yeah, that's how it was. It's such a. I don't show. remember that. Remember anyways, that. oh, if you go back, don't watch it with your kids in the room. That's for sure. But it is still really funny. Yeah. Anyways, that was a tangent. So, Luke, what else did you – What was that Was that your main point, that Harry Potter, and then the celebrity culture and Catholicism? Yep. Yep. Okay. That's awesome. Well, good deal. So, uh, for people just getting started into the Potter Potterverse, the multiverse of Potterdom, uh, Rebecca, what's your – other than read the books, obviously. I mean, do you have any – Well, I would tips? first say, to go back to what we were just talking about, the thought I had before I went off on 30 Rock, is that I think <laughs> – the difference between, you know, if you're reading something like Harry Potter or something like that, and you could, you could argue like, oh, well, isn't that, you know, you're binging on it and it's too much of a good thing or whatever. I would say one of the merits of it is that, excuse me, there's so much, um, there's so many, as I've said several times, nuggets of like wisdom or just 
like things and thoughts and statements that like you literally will stop and go back and reread sentences. Or if you're a person like me who underlines things in books that you will be like, this is literally like something I have to stop and think about. Like even Luke was talking about that, you know, it does not, it does, you know, good to dwell on things, you know, that hoped you hope to be, or that you hope would be and forget to live or whatever. Like Luke was saying, you know, that are, are like pieces of, wisdom that you can like walk away from with the book, walk away from the book with, and you, you continue to like ruminate on it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the difference between something like this and like, you know, a lot of other things out there that are just sort of more, whatever things you consume, like, you know, whatever candy. And then they don't really have any value to them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think you'd, you don't do the Luke thing and like start at a weird spot or read like one book and then walk away for like a year. Cause then you gotta, <laughs> then you, then you gotta read it again at the beginning. Cause you'll forget a lot of stuff. You, I think the best thing is to read them all in a row. I agree. I agree. Because... Once again, Luke Carey has failed us all. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> We'd like to apologize to like the following groups Carrie Domini, <laughs> Catching Fox's <laughs> listeners, J.R.R. Um, Tolkien, the Irish, <laughs> the state of Idaho. I would say I feel like they're a good series. Well, if you don't have children or a lot of distractions, you can read through them pretty quickly if you have a lot of time. What do you mean? So, I read two books in like a week. <laughs> what? And I've, I'm on book whatever, one, two, three, four, I'm on book five, and um, it's taken me like a month to read it because I can only read like like five pages at a time before somebody is like, mom, mom, get me something, mom, mom, whatever. Dirty That's why I do all my whatever. best reading in the bathroom. Oh, yeah, well, lucky you, because you're a dad, and nobody bothers you in the bathroom. Oh, no, they do. They still do. I get the little fingers under the door. Oh, my children do not bother my husband the way they bother me in the bathroom. They just do not. Um, because mommy, your shit smells so much better than daddy's. Uh, now that is that is a reality. <laughs> that is true true talk right there. Mm-hmm. You you don't really that I think that was the big thing that why they sold so many and they became this phenomenon is she they're written so well that you like want to keep reading them like they don't drag along. I will say, I think I mean the first time through Chamber of Secrets isn't the more times you read it. Like I said, I'm always like oh I just got to get through Chamber of Secrets, and then. The one I'm on right now, which is Order of the Phoenix, is the fattest book, and it is, it's a really, it's a lot of prose, and there's a lot of teen angst, and like, it's a really kind of heavy book, literally, and also, like, figuratively (laughs) heavy. Um, So I, for me, I feel like it's the, it's the slowest one to read through, because it's just like, you really have to get through, like, a lot of stuff in it to make, to get to a lot of important points or whatever. Um, Got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a lot of really. I think like, yeah, like uh, she even said like she basically um, uh, she like ran out of time with that book, so it's she didn't really get to edit it the way that she wanted to and stuff. Well, oh, and you can sort of tell that when you're reading it. That's because I feel like the beginning is really like long, and there's like you're like oh, okay, okay, and then like all the very exciting stuff is the last like five chapters, and there's like. 25 chapters before that, you know what I mean? So it's See, like... See, for me, though, that's what I love. Okay, that love that is book. exactly why I love... Yeah, I mean, that speaks to my art. Like, yes! Like, this book that I'm reading right now, he jumps... Actually, I just finished right before the call. He 
so many action, this, that, all this stuff. But there are so many, um, like, these introspective moments where you get in the head of this villain who is the first half of the book. It's all about him. And you just consume it. And I'm like, finally, finally, the monologues that go on. <laughs> like, something about that. And I do feel like, yes, there's elements where it's like, it's a bit much. You could have cut some of that out. But I secretly never want them to. I love that stuff so much. Well, and it's and the series too is also like a, it's like a almost like a each individual book, but then the series as a whole is a mystery for lack of a better word because there are so many revelations of things that come with each book, and then as the series progresses, like you're opening, you know, like a Russian nesting doll that you're like, what, 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 what? Like every time you open it, there's like a new exciting thing inside of it. And it keeps being like a bigger piece of the puzzle. You know what I mean? And then when you get to the end and like all these pieces like are finally put together and that last piece gets put in, your mind is like, you see the whole picture and you're like, oh, what? Like your, your mind is kind of blown by, I mean, and I still feel that way every single time I read them. That like, nice. it's still so exciting every time when you get to the end that you're like, this is just like, Oh, it's just it's so well constructed as a story. You know what I good. mean? Like, good. That's awesome. Um, there's a part at the end of book one where they go into the, where they briefly mention two planets, um, both at two different times, but like pretty, uh, pretty close together in the overall story. And you could write a dissertation on like what that on like what those planets mean to the two this like like why she why she put those planets in there it's fast it is just i i finally unpicked that i finally because like you tend to see like um there's like one planet that she mentions is obvious but there's this little hint of this other one like a chapter before and then when you put them up together it's like holy crap you holy crap like it's 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 amazing and when when the time comes gomer when you're ready for it when you when you finish all the books you have your big boy pants on, your big boy uh-huh. Harry Potter pants on. I, I can I can give you some recommendations on commentaries because I promise <laughs> I would... you will want to read commentaries after you finish the series. And when you start reading commentaries and like, you'll be like, wait a minute, I have to read them again. Like you will you will truly be like, there's so much more here than I saw the first time okay. when I read it. So I have one last big question. I think it's a big question. Okay. Now, I saw the movies. Uh, I think the third one, I remember saying I hated the others because I thought they were, like, babyish. But I could see. the first two are horrible. And I said, I I feel like this third one, number one, it felt a little bit better. But also, it felt more like a coming-of-age, you know, boy struggling. Like, I said, the magic stuff was, like, 10% of it. The rest of it was girls you know and like all this stuff and i remember thinking about that and being like well that's what these books are right it's like a coming of age heroism tale with magic as like the foil yes you know as as the plot device but it's really about teenager you know um adolescents and teenager and all that stuff but the and it reminded me of like spider-man like why is spider-man always so popular like it's it's always been one of the most popular like comic books of all time, no matter what generation, no matter. It's always so popular. And uh, I was listening to a guy talking about it and he said, the reason is 
because it's the story of puberty mm-hmm. told over and over and over again. And it's wonderful and fantastic and all the cool storylines and blah, blah, blah. But it's really just a story of puberty. It's like, hey, here's these new powers that I have and all this. And isn't this crazy? And they get me in just as much trouble as they are a blessing and like all of this stuff. And I always thought like, so my question is, how much of Harry's age of him being really, really young. Obviously, you're growing old with this kid, but or growing up with this kid. But how much of it that he started so young that the plot line starts with, that makes the story so good or so real or so whatever? Ooh, yeah. I I think it's actually really important. Uh, mm. Like, did you connect with the youngest Harry Potter in the first and second book? Does that even matter? Like, are are you picturing yourself like as a young boy? I don't think so. I don't think you, I mean, I think the younger, probably the first two books when, when they're kind of youngish in school, you kind of feel like they're just young, you know, and, and they're doing more, you know, 11 and 12 year old kind of things. And they really kind of reference their age and their year in school. But I think as they get older, really, again, probably fourth book, because Goblet of Fire is, is really where it gets more intense and and in the fourth book, they do kind of talk about that Harry is, because of the whole thing with the Goblet of Fire and the Triwizard Tournament, he's younger than everybody else. And that sort of comes into play that, like, he's younger and, and he's doing this these, you know, challenges against these older, you know, wizards or whatever, and he's lacking experience. But I, I feel like when you're reading the books, the more you read the books, you're not even really thinking about them in reference to their ages. You know what I mean? Like... It's not about, like, what grade they're in. But it is the story of maturing, too. Like, that is what the whole series is. And, you know, his, his, ta- his abilities and his relationships and even his relationships, and this is another thing that I think is totally fascinating, not just Harry, but Harry, Hermione, and Ron, their relationships with the teachers and the adults in the books mature, too. And they, they have, like, they go from being teacher and students to being, you know, Wizards Wildly inappropriate best friends? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but, well, that's a whole other thing. But that people want to, whatever. But but, but as far as, like, their relationship is that the, the teachers start to respect them and their abilities and their skills, and they start to see the teachers not so much as, like, oh, the teachers are the bad guys and they're so, you know, strict and harsh and all these things, but they're these adults who are trying to help them become the best they can be. You know what I mean? And, and kind of have their backs there's also teachers who are crappy too. And like, that's a whole part of the story. That's kind of entertaining that there's like really bad teachers and there's really good teachers. And, you know, it is the story of your adolescence, you know, and that's another thing that's just fun to keep sort of not reliving because hell no, I don't want to relive adolescence, but (laughs) you know, just to enjoy looking at it from an adult perspective, I guess like, Oh, Oh, kind of, you know, looking back on it. Oh, no. Sorry, Luke. I cut you off. No, fine. No, I actually kind of like the fact that he, um, he's young because I, I think it just like he slowly has to, and you know because he's 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 a young guy who has to, who um has to wrestle with these horrible things that have happened to him and that happened to others because of him or that he has to put others in in harm's way and he grows into that and like what that responsibility means in a really interesting way. And so there's almost like a slow build to all of this stuff where if I think if, you know, this were to be like Harry Potter starts doing this stuff when he's in college, I think it's just it's um, it, it, it just it kind of he actually kind of has to be young, I think. 
in order for yeah, it would it would lose the innocence of yeah, a lot of yeah, this stuff yeah. if he was too old. Yep. Because a lot of the things they do and a, a lot of the trouble they get to in, into, especially when they're younger, is is almost just like kids doing like reckless kids things because like that's just what you do when you like your brain's not fully developed and you just like one of the things I always think about and I laugh about is that I'm like these kids like ever sleep in these books because they're always you know out at like midnight and one o'clock in the morning and like whatever and i'm like (laughs) like they're like sneaking around the grounds in the middle of the night i'm like no wonder they were like grumpy and tired all the time like yeah they weren't getting enough sleep in like a weird way probably the most actual unlike realistic part of the book is the fact that the school wasn't closed down dozens of times oh yeah (laughs) dozens of times Oh yeah, yeah. It should have been. How did they survive that? How how did the how did this? Well, you know, the Ministry of Magic sort of lets you know lets them do whatever they're doing over there, you know, until the fifth book, and then they then they come down hard on things, you know. But I'd love to come back and talk to you again about it some more, Gomer, when you get further into the books, because I think once you get further along, you're going to be like, wait, I have so many things to talk about, and I have so many questions. So here's uh, number one deal. You can do that. Number two. I like I was just saying. I just finished the the book, and uh, as I got an email today, that book three came out of the series that I'm reading, and it's really funny because I was like, uh, you like I'm really liking this, and I'll I'll get book three, but then the last line of the last book was like a bombshell. But here's the problem: I don't understand entirely why it's a bombshell. Because here's the handicap of reading books that are, uh, or excuse me, uh, listening to books instead of reading them, is like names and stuff kind of get a little lost, you know, especially if there's a lot of them. And I know this name is very familiar, and I think I know who it belongs to, but, hmm, I think I missed something (laughs) along the line and I went through the one book that I also have a Kindle version of and I'm like reading through and I'm like, dang it. They they only mentioned this guy's last name, not his first name. So I'm trying to think, is he like, is this guy that guy from the later books or is he just related to that guy? Because they have the same last name. And so I'm like totally thrown off. So now I'm like obsessed with reading the third part. Uh, of the series so I, i'm like well i'll just put harry potter on the back shelf until i get through with this book because of this damn name that i can't remember what its significance but you know like literally the book is like hey sergeant what's your real name and he's like yeah i got a real name boys and it's azen ford and that's literally the last words of the book and i'm like oh it's a cliffhanger and i don't understand why <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can call me when coronavirus is over because that's when uh, you're going to finish that book and get uh, back. Yeah. Well, coronavirus will never be over because it's a virus, but the it must be situation. lived. <laughs> it must be lived. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Turns out we were the coronavirus. It was us all along. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I enjoy talking to y'all. And I'm, I'm, I don't know why people, you're nice to let me come on. All your listeners are like, who is this person? No, yeah. quit judging yourself. <laughs> Just be free. Just be free. Start writing in a diary. Start writing in a diary. <laughs> Get pour my soul into it <laughs> and see what happens. It'll all be good. All right, dudes. All right. Talk to you okay. soon. Bye. Take, Take care. care. Bye. Bye.